Over the past few weeks, we have been working on our new set of memory verses. They come from uh, chapter in Titus, uh, and actually, we're just going to be saying the first part again this week, as it's a longer section. Like I said before, we're just chunking these down. So we're going to be just saying the white section of this verse together. In your spare time, I recommend actually reading this maybe once or twice throughout the week in whole to help you as you're actually getting used to, familiar with these verses. It's Titus 2, 11 through 12. We're just gonna read the first part and then we'll read the reference together. Here we go. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. And that comes from Titus 2, 11 through 12. As we remember, as we're working on these verses, uh, remember to let these words kind of resonate through your life. Kind of think on them throughout the week. Don't just think about them here on Sunday and then forget about them the rest of the week. For the God's grace is offered and it appears each of us, every single one of us, salvation. It's an amazing thing. Every single one of us. And we ask, you know, salvation from what? It's from slavery of a sinful heart's desires both now and later in life and being cast out of God's presence eternally. Most people, when they talk about salvation, we tend to start talking about the eternal things. We talk about eternity. And unfortunately, I'm not really good at thinking all the way in eternal things. I'm, I'm bad at actually saving for my current future in this life now, let alone thinking about future things. And so I, I sometimes feel like when I talk about eternal things, I might just be going over somebody's head and be like, that, that doesn't concern me. That's you know, too far off in the future. I can't even think about my retirement. How can I think about my eternity? But I don't want us to miss this, that the salvation that God gives us is for today. It's helping us change our lives now. God enables us to win a war that we could not win without his help right now. It allows us to live a better life, a life that is actually guided by his standards when he comes in and enables us through his spirit. So don't forget that when you're talking about salvation to other people, it's not just the eternal. It's also applicable to today and tomorrow, and the next day, all the way until the day we meet up with God in heaven. It's applicable to every day. It's not just then. Now, today we're going to continue our journey as we're looking through the book of Acts. Um, we're slowly working through, and there is a ton here, so we're actually going to be skipping over a lot, and I'm just kind of cherry-picking some specific events in the book of Acts just as we're moving forward slowly into the New Testament. Um, he, there's going to be some really good reading here, and you're going to see some amazing faith. But if you ever want to see the mountain highs that these people saw in this book, because they saw some incredible heights. There were some amazing sights that they saw. God did some wonderful things. You also have to be prepared to experience the valley lows that they met as well. These people, we, we think about the miracles that God worked among this church and all the faith that they had, but you also have to take hand in hand the persecution that came with that how much the enemy despised what they were doing and how much he retaliated in force for what they were doing. So they had highs and they had lows. And I'm afraid that we may never see that glorious working of God the way that they did unless we are willing to experience both, unless we are willing to give our lives and abandon to him and to have a faith that defines us. You'll notice actually in the New Testament and specifically in the book of Acts, you'll never see them pray for safety. Not once did they ever pray for safety. They prayed for God's will to be done, and that is what they trusted in, is God. But how do we get to that kind of trust in our lives? How do we build trust that we have complete faith that God will direct our steps no matter what the outcome? I think in contrast from the church then and now, it's a night and day difference. 
and maybe we never saw the light the same way that they did. So today, I'm actually titling this sermon, I Saw the Light. I Saw the Light. Today, we're going to be looking at three different aspects, and if you know me by now, we are going to be doing a little bit of past digging on what happened before these events, and we're actually going to start in John chapter 9 before we get to Acts chapter 9. So if you've got your Bible today, you can open to John chapter 9, which is where we're going to start today. Uh, But today, we are going to be looking at three different areas. Now, if you uh, like to take notes and you don't have something, I do also make a uh, children's uh, bulletin insert. It's a kid's bulletin, but adults can use it as well, especially if you like coloring, which we also have uh, crayons and uh, clipboards back there as well. So if you like taking notes. Today, uh, now, I'm, I like alliteration every now and then again. I'm not going to go full Baptist on you, uh, so I'm not going to do uh, and make everything absolutely alliterated. Uh, but today, it's Jesus' expectations, Paul's experience, and we're going to look at Ananias' faith as it's exercised. So we're going to be looking at three different areas. Now, first, we're going to look at Jesus' expectations. So in the Bible, there are a lot of illustrations. Jesus loves using illustrations to get his point across. They're tangible things to help us to understand, most of which, in all reality, are farming analogies. You have uh, the tilling of the fields, you have the vines, you have fruit, soil, The fields are white, ready for harvest. But one of my favorite examples actually comes from John chapter 1, verse 9, where John actually says, Jesus is the true light, which gives light to every man who is coming into the world. And then not long afterwards, Jesus says of himself, confirming what John said, I am the light of the world. Jesus loves using this analogy of the light. Now, I love light analogies. One of my favorite things that I used to do uh, was an adventure guide. So during my college years, you always have that college job. Mine was an adventure guide. And I uh, worked summers and sometimes a little bit in the fall and the winter. And I would take people on these different trips. And uh, we did a lot of different things. And one of my favorite was to bring people into caves. In West Virginia, it's known as cave country down there. The limestone uh, just got ate away uh, by the uh, fallout of the flood. And there is a bazillion caves everywhere you look. Uh, is somewhere new to explore. And what's neat about caves is it always points towards the spiritual through the use of caving. Now, I put a picture of me up here uh, crawling through a cave. This is me, knee-deep in water. This is a uh, 200-foot crawl, and it actually pinches down even more so. Uh, At one point, you actually have to have your head sideways to keep it above the water. Uh, So, yes, if you don't like cold water, confined spaces, you don't want to go here, but it's a lot of fun. Most of the caves had easy openings. In fact, actually, some of them you could drive a Mack truck through. But it wasn't very long until the caves start pinching down and slowly getting smaller and smaller. And one of the things that we really liked to take the people through was a place called the birth canal. Now, it was an optional side route. We called it the birth canal because you went in sideways. And then halfway through, if you weren't in the right position, you actually had to be on your right side to go in. If you went on your left side, you had to back out to be able to go back in again because it did a 90-degree turn, but you couldn't turn around. As you were going after that 90-degree turn, it slowly continued to pinch down. What you're already sideways, you actually had to figure out a way to get your hands over your head because if your hands weren't over your head when you exited, they were stuck down below you and you would land face first in the mud. And the problem was that no matter what you did, there was a cold 56-degree puddle of water and mud and salamanders and what else there. You landed in it every single time, and you came out looking like a baby, just everywhere. It was one of those great things to take guests through. And what we would do afterwards is we would we'd sit them all down. Now that they're cold and shivering, we'd turn off the lights, and we'd ask them what they thought about the dark. 
And this darkness, it's called total darkness. You can't see anything. We'd ask them, could you find your way out if you had to? Most of them are like, well, I'm not sure. We asked them what they thought of the dark. And what's neat about being in that dark when you're completely surrounded by nothingness, you can't, see your, you can't see your hand in front of your face. What's funny is you actually feel like you can see your hand, but your eyes are actually giving a ghost image of your hand. You actually can't see it. It's actually your mind playing a trick on you. It's so dark. But you start seeing the importance of light when you're in a dark place. And I think that Jesus was actually getting at this very fact, that when you're in such darkness, how important the light becomes in each of our lives. And he said, in a spiritually dark world, we desperately, I said this, not him, in a spiritually dark world, we desperately need the light. Otherwise, spiritually, as we try to find our way around, just like I was talking to my cavers, we bumble around. We don't really know where to go or what to do. And Jesus came in to give us the light. So we're stuck on our own without a light to guide us out, just like the groups that I would take into the cave. Now, Jesus knew we were in darkness, completely helpless, so he came to light our way. It's why he calls himself this. Jesus healed people with all sorts of problems, people that were on their deathbeds, people that couldn't walk, people that couldn't talk. Some people couldn't even see. One occasion, Jesus heals this man who's never seen any light. He's been blind since birth. And this is where we're going to pick up our story here in John 9. He doesn't know what color looks like. He's never seen a sunset. He's never seen his mom or dad smile. He's never seen anything. He was born blind. It's hard to imagine what life would be like. So Jesus and his disciples are walking by this man. The disciples ask him what happened, why this man was blind. And Jesus's response is actually quite interesting and revealing about his intentions. So pick it up with me when Chapter 9, verse 4 through 7. John chapter 9. I'm going to read 4 through 7. This is Jesus' response. He says, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming while no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground. He made some clay with the saliva. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and he came back seeing. Didn't I just tell a story about people in muddy water? Um, so Jesus here takes muddy water from his spit and people wonder, you know, why, why did Jesus spit into the water? Why didn't he just touch him? Jesus could have easily just said, be healed like he did with the paralytic. Uh, why did Jesus do this? And in all reality, if you do a lot of research, you'll find that a lot of people have a lot of guesses. At the end of the day, it's because he could. Jesus does things at times just because he can, just to show you that he can. Uh, at the end of the day, that's kind of where everybody goes to. Um, I think he just wanted to show that he has the power to do whatever he wants. He has complete power over everything. Now, Jesus said that he's the light of the world, and he was healing a blind man not long afterwards. I don't think this is a coincidence. Um, now, if Jesus is the light, we do have to ask a very specific question. What is it that Jesus is trying to illuminate? If Jesus says he is the light, what is he trying to illuminate by being the light? So this man is brought in front of the Pharisees to be examined or checked out. Every time a miracle happens, you're supposed to go in front of the religious leadership of the day to get checked out to verify the miracle has happened. His testimony is probably my favorite testimony of all of those in Scripture. It's simple, it's to the point, and I think it's something that we as believers can pattern our own testimony when telling people who are questioning about our own faith, about Jesus. Now let's check it out. This is verse 25 of the same chapter, verse 25 of the same chapter. He says, in response, when the people are asking him, he says, one thing I know, I was blind, now I see. 
So the Pharisees are asking him a whole bunch of different questions. They're asking him, you know, what happened? Who is this Jesus? We think this man's a sinner. And he's like, I don't even know if this guy's a sinner. You know what? I really don't know much about Jesus, but I can tell you my experience. And that's what he goes with. So we can actually learn three different things from this man's testimony and what he says. He honestly tells them that he doesn't know everything about Jesus. The people ask him, well, we know this man to be a sinner. He's like, well, I don't know if Jesus is a sinner. All I can tell you is he told me to go do this and I'm, I'm, I'm healed. So I know my experience with Jesus. I don't know everything about him. When pressed again, they keep questioning him. And eventually he actually says, he focuses on his experience. So he, he says he doesn't, he doesn't know anything. He's honest. He keeps it to the point. He focuses on his experience. This is what happened to me. All I can tell you is I was blind, now I can see. And then they keep pressing him in verse 27. They keep asking him about more about Jesus. He says, wait a sec, you guys keep asking, do you guys want to be followers of Jesus? So he turns the table on them, says, you guys are asking a lot of questions. Do you want to follow him as well? And I think this is what Jesus wants or even expects out of our personal testimony. A simplicity. It doesn't have to be theologically deep. We don't have to be talking about a whole bunch of different verses. We don't have to recite half the Bible. We just have simplicity on this is, this is the Jesus that I know. This is what happened in my life. This is my experience with him. I don't know, I can't answer everything, but this is what happened to me. And then he follows it up at the end and he says, you know what, do you want to know Jesus as well? That's the simplest testimony I have ever heard in my life. And I love it because it's so simple that anyone can do it. Anybody who has had an experience of knowing Jesus and trusting and putting their faith in him can say this testimony very easily. So we're actually now going to turn to our main focus on Acts chapter 9. So if you turn with me to Acts chapter 9, we're going to start there soon. Paul's experience is our second point, Paul's experience. So there's a young man, his name is Saul, and he became known as Paul. We'll even talk about that a little bit later. Saul, at this point, is an up-and-coming leader in the main religious sect of the day, the, the main religious tradition, as it were. Uh, he's been trained by the best. You actually find this out by Paul's own writing. He was ready to be actually, he was groomed to be taking over the leadership of the whole religious society. Um, Saul believed that Christians were telling lies, that they were perverting God's word, and they'd been aggressively, he'd been aggressively capturing them. He actually had legal documents allowing him to go around, and anybody who said they were Christian, he could actually lock them up, or worse. But there was a problem, though. Something had been eating at him for some time. While we're in Acts chapter 9 today, Acts chapter 7, uh, there was a stoning of a man. His name was Stephen. He was the first martyr. And this is what it says in Acts chapter 7. As, and they cast him out of the city and they stoned him, talking about what the people did to Stephen. They killed him. Uh, and the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Saul was there. He watched this event. He wasn't one of the people that was throwing stones. But it seems like something didn't sit well with him. It was eating at him. And, when, and Jesus actually points this to us out. Saul wanted this group to be destroyed. He wanted the Christians to be disbanded. But something wasn't quite right. He was backed by the governing officials at the day. He had paperwork in hand, but then Jesus. And the most wonderful thing in anybody's life is, but then Jesus. Jesus steps in and changes absolutely everything. So let's read Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 5 together. Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 5. Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind. I am in the wrong book. Give me just a second. Thankfully, everybody else has turned. There we go. Now I'm caught up with all y'all. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and he asked for letters from him 
uh, to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any who were of the way, the way is what the early church was originally called, the way, uh, whether by men or women, that he might bring them to Jerusalem bound. As he journeyed there and he came near to Damascus, suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. He fell onto the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Now, kicking against the goads is probably the only confusing part. You may have heard this explained before. Jesus points out that Paul has had this internal conflict. Something's not going right. Uh, One commentator I had read said, apparently to kick against the goads was a common expression found in both Greek and Latin literature. It was a common expression of the day. A rural image from which rose the practice of farmers we talked about farming imagery, goading their oxen on the fields. It was unfamiliar to us, but to then, everybody would have understood its meaning. So goads were typically made from slender pieces of timber. They were blunt on one end and pointy on the other. Farmers used the pointed end to urge a stubborn ox into motion. Occasionally, the beast would kick at the goad. The more the ox kicked at the goad, the more likely it would stab him in the flesh of his leg, causing greater pain. So that's kind of an explanation of the goad. So from this expression, we're seeing evidence that Paul's heart was torn between what he thought he knew and what he was seeing happening. Paul was struggling with something, and he wasn't quite sure with what. Jesus always has this way of illuminating our hearts. He he gets right to the issue, and he calls it out. He shows that Paul had been fighting this battle within himself. And then Jesus brings about a change, and this is what finally tips the scales in Paul's life. What's interesting is that we each have this moment in our lives when we come to accept Christ as Lord where, where something's not right, where, where something isn't adding up. Uh, sometimes life literally just doesn't work out. Maybe life all of a sudden has been out of your control and you don't understand why. Maybe it was something else. Whatever your experience is, that is your story to tell. We each have a different experience of coming to Jesus, but he uses these moments to kind of upend our lives I was on the second floor of a marine barracks in North, uh, yeah, North Carolina. I almost said South Carolina. Um, I was contemplating my future. I knew I was headed to war, but I didn't know where I was headed in life. And that is my story. But you have your story, and you get to tell your story as well. I knew what he had done for me, and that was enough. I knew what Jesus had done for me, and that was enough. Though we don't know for how long, we do know that Paul was fighting the calling that was being placed on his life. Obviously evidence from Jesus' own words. Have you noticed in the Bible that people tend to get new names? Paul, Saul, I keep going back and forth. There are other places um, as well. What's interesting is in Revelation, it says, uh, this is Jesus talking in the book of Revelation. He says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give a hidden manna to eat. I will give him a white stone, a stone with a new name, on which no one knows except he who receives it. Jesus is actually going to give us each a new name. So what do, you, what do your parents call you? They call you by your name. What do your friends call you? They call you by your name. Your name is on your checks. It's on your mortgages. It's on your bills. It's on your income statements. Again, 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 it's your name. But in Christ, the Bible tells us after we trust Jesus, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Oh, the old things have passed away, and behold, all things become new in 2 Corinthians See, you get a new name because you're given a new identity in Christ. We are given an opportunity to be remade and given new lives. 
to Saul, who would become known as Paul, Jesus literally shone the light down on him. He illuminated him so bright, funny enough, that paradoxically he became blind. But you can check it out with me here in Acts chapter 9, verse 8. It says this. It says, Then Saul arose from the ground when his eyes were opened. He saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. So here's a question. If Jesus is trying to shine a light or illuminate Paul's life, why did he blind him? If Jesus is supposed to be the light of the world, what effect does Jesus have on blinding this man? Why why would he go through this effort? I think the answer is that Jesus allowed Paul to be physically blind because he was spiritually blind. Jesus allowed Paul to be physically blind because he was spiritually blind. He wasn't paying attention and he didn't know Christ as Savior. See, it was by this physical disability that Paul was finally able to open his spiritual eyes. So we're going back and forth here. Jesus used a physical disability to open Paul's mind. People who trust in Jesus have typically had a humbling experience. You might be able to attest to having a humbling experience before coming to Christ, realizing that life didn't add up, realizing that you were not enough. Jesus allows these experiences to come into our lives for this very purpose, to finally open our eyes to him and his working. So now blinded, Paul is led into the city. He neither eats nor drinks for three whole days. He sits there contemplating life and exactly all of his actions. He reflects there. During this time, God calls another into action. So pick it up with me in verse 10. We're going to read 10 to 14. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street that is called Straight, and inquire of the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in the vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard many about this man, from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. Okay, so Ananias here has an opportunity to exercise his faith. And we're going to talk a little bit about Ananias. Here, Jesus is calling one of his followers into action. We learn actually from Ananias an appropriate reaction to God's calling on our life, especially when things don't make sense. First, you're going to notice that when he was called up, he automatically responds. Lord says, hey, Ananias. Ananias says, here I am, Lord. Just automatically, just an automatic response. I am here, Lord. I'm ready. What do you want me to do? Next, you're going to find, though, is that he doesn't make excuses. He's just there. He's ready. You'll notice after he receives a little bit of specific instructions, you'll notice that God even tells him that it's he, Ananias, in the vision. So he knows that he's the one supposed to be going. Ananias doesn't say he won't do it. He rather asks some clarifying questions. And I think the point is that he asks clarifying questions. He doesn't question God's will. He's just trying to understand things. I think God would have rebuked him for actually having little faith in this area. But he asks, like, hey, um, this guy has been known to do some pretty bad things. I've heard a lot of bad stories. Are you sure this is the guy that you want me to go heal? And, of course, God kind of responds and says, you know, I, I I haven't overlooked this area. I know exactly what's happening. Don't worry. You go and trust me. And he goes. He automatically follows at God's commands. You see, if he was having a struggle in his faith or if he was doubting, God would have redirected him. But God never redirects him. God actually just continues on with the content of the conversation. The job has to be done. 
God shows his grace and he helps Ananias understand God's plan and he goes on. Ananias no longer questions anything, but he moves forward in obedience. Verse 17 is where we find his actions. Verse 17 says, Ananias and Ananias went his way, entered into the house, laying both his hands on him, talking of Paul, says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who has appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So after this encounter, Paul goes on to do some pretty amazing things. If you're even remotely familiar with the New Testament, he wrote most of the books, or at least had a hand in writing many of them, and even the rest of Acts are about some of the amazing things that God uses him to do. In fact, today we still actually are benefiting from what he did. But I want to ask, what would have happened if Ananias had refused God's call to step out in faith? What would have happened if Ananias had refused? You ever think of that? Who would have Paul become? Would he still have become a believer? I mean, he saw Ananias in the vision. If he woke up and, you know, Tim was there, I mean, would that give way to God's credibility? What would have happened? You ever wonder these things? Ananias was called and he answered. You see, we each have a free will. We have a free will to respond or to not respond. We, know we get to choose our reaction. It was his exercise of faith that Ananias shows us that he was willing to put faith his, his feet into his faith. He was able to walk what he said he believed. This was a dangerous situation, potentially. This was a man who had legal papers. If he opened his eyes and saw Ananias there who was talking about Jesus, he could have been arrested on the spot. But he put his faith in Christ and what he was saying to do. So, today we have looked at three different areas. We've seen Jesus call himself the light of the world. We've seen that he calls himself this because he's here to illuminate souls, to allow us to see there is a different way out of the mess we are in, to bring us out of spiritual darkness, to show us a way to leave bondage that we, in all reality, could never escape on our own. We also saw a man who Jesus used to be the light to. He patterned us for us to be able to tell our testimony to others. So the man who was blind honestly told the Pharisees when he was asked, he doesn't know everything about Jesus. When someone asks you about your faith in Jesus, you can say, you know what? I don't know everything, but I can tell you what I do know. I know that one day I was blind and now I can see. This is who I am. Would you like to be a believer as well? That's how simple his testimony was. It's something that we each can pattern our own lives and what our testimony is afterwards. We can fill in more. We can give more to the story. But that's simple. That's something each and every single one of us can say. When we looked at the conversion of Saul, we saw a man who was persecuting, actively trying to destroy the church. Saul, we see how our names are changed because when we accept Christ, he gives us a new name. He calls us something else. We are a new creation. You are given a second chance, a new start. You get a, a redo, the, the slate is wiped clean and you get an opportunity to become a new creation in Christ, something completely different, something that you were originally designed to be. And finally, we, we looked at Ananias. Uh, we don't know a lot about his life. We know nothing more about him except for this one account. All we know is that he was faithful to the call. He stepped up when God called him. That's all we need to know about him is that he was a believer and that he stepped up when God called on his life. Because of his actions, countless others are blessed. Today, Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. Most of us here in this room are Gentiles because of his ministry directly we are sitting here today and we know Christ because Ananias stepped up and delivered one message to one man. That's all it takes to spread the gospel.
So I wanna encourage you today, next time you have the opportunity to tell of your own faith, don't be discouraged. Keep it simple. We often get tripped up because we think we have too many things that we need to say. Oh, I gotta say this, oh, I gotta say this. Keep it simple. Admit that you don't have all the answers. Focus on your experience. Walk forward in faith like Ananias, even if your faith is small. God can use it in ways that you could have never imagined. Faith starts simple, believing in Jesus Christ. It's the verses that we've already memorized. Romans 10, 9, and 10, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Believe on his name, call upon him, and everyone who does so will be saved. This is the Jacob version of that verse. It's simple. Okay, let's close in prayer. Father, I do thank you so much for today. I thank you that in simplicity, we can tell others of your love. I thank you that you have patterned for people before us to show us the way. I thank you that you are a light and that you don't leave us in the dark, stumbling around, not knowing what to do. I have been in complete darkness, Lord, both spiritually and physically. And I know what it feels like to, to not know which direction to go, to not know what the answers are. Father, I ask that you help each and every single one of us to know who you are. Help us to trust you. Help us to know that we can trust you. Father, I ask that you help us to go and tell somebody else of our faith. Lord, help us not to keep it hidden, but to be like Ananias and accept the call when you say, hey, I want you to talk to this person. Help us to have courage. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, this is Pastor Jake. I just wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening to these messages that we put online. I do pray that these are helpful during the times you just can't be with us in person. I want to remind you that this recording is never meant to substitute God's good plan for you to be in a community of faith where the Word of God is being preached and proclaimed. We're told by Scripture to gather together so that we each belong to a local body of believers where we are being shaped by being known, by using each of our gifts and walking faithfully in God's Word. So thank you again so much for listening and growing with us. I hope you enjoy today's message.